Welcome to the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors in the commodity space to give you the inside scoop on the emerging commodity super cycle. And now, on to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Commodity Culture, where we break down the commodity space for both new and experienced investors. Once again, Coming to you from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, we have Fabi Lara, the host of the Next Big Rush YouTube channel with us today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. Yeah, happy to meet you in person and be able to sit down and do this. And we're going to talk about uranium today. You've already been on two uranium panels, one of them I hosted, so you're probably a little bit sick of talking about uranium. Never. Never. Okay, good. That's what we like to hear. So I want to start off with a broad question, and that is, what are the main themes and stories you're watching in the uranium space right now that have you bullish in 2023? Okay, so I see a lot of really positive news regarding nuclear in general, right? Uh, You see plans of new mines, plans of extending the mines we already have. I just read something recently about not just extending um, uh, sorry, did I say mines? I meant nuclear uh, plants. Yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm a bit confused after talking about this for so long. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so we have extensions of uh, nuclear power plants, and we have you know some of them that we expected to be extended for maybe five to ten years are actually um, possibly being extended to eighty years. Right? Like that's massive. That means that there's a lot of demand coming. So I'm I'm watching you know high level where is nuclear going and what's happening and that is very difficult to do because the news flow has been just very overwhelming in the last I want to say year or so. Uh but I'm al- also watching you know um the granular things for example uh, which companies are are getting good financing deals, right? Uh, which companies are are people most interested in? So from a community perspective, from a retail crowd perspective, what are people wanting to learn more about and wanting to put their money towards? I'm watching those two things. So are we still early? Is this still early innings? Because you got into investing in uranium in 2014. We're doing a panel with with Rick Rule, and he was investing pre-Fukushima. Um, so there, there's a lot of money that's already been made in the space. So for somebody who's looking at the space and they, they like the thesis, they've done their research, they understand the future of nuclear energy, is, has all the big money been made or, or is there still a lot of upside to go in your opinion? Now, that's a good question because what you have to think about is the commodity itself versus or parallel to the opportunities of buying stock right, that represent the commodity. And they don't always go hand in hand. I mean, they definitely don't trade together. Um, there is a trend. So when one is up a lot, sometimes the other is up a lot as well. But it's not immediate, right? It's not like, oh my goodness, today we had a 10% update in spot uranium. All of a sudden, all the miners are, you know, up 20%, 30%. It doesn't usually happen like that. Uh, so there's an, uh, an ebb and flow that happens. We need to understand whether we believe the story of uranium first before we start investing in the uranium companies. At least that's my personal belief. You need to understand and decide whether you think that, you know, we're using more nuclear power, we're going to need more uranium, we're going to even need more uranium um, to produce the same amount of output uh, of energy that we have in the past, right? Because uh, we're constrained with enrichment facilities, etc. And so if you believe that the price of the commodity is going up, then maybe the first step is to actually uh, go and buy the, the uranium physical trust and have that bet. Now, having said that, 
if you, since you believe that the the price of the commodity is going up, the next question to ask is, okay, what companies are out there that are either looking for uranium or have uranium in the ground that can gain from you know the upswing that you believe is going to happen? I look historically, and the the one uranium squeeze we had way back in '07. What happened was is Cigar Lake, a mine in Canada, got flooded. So we knew that one of the producing companies was going to have a really hard time to meet their obligations. And then the utilities had to run into the spot market and they bid it up, bid it up, bid it up. I don't remember the actual price it started out um, from, but it went as high as $140 per pound. That's a lot. And this is back in 07. We've had a lot of inflation since then. So if you correct it for inflation... Uh, that amount is just over $200 per pound, right? If something as small as one single mine having flooding issues uh, brings that much uh, fire to the spot market, I believe that we could have this again. And today the spot price is, you know, 50 bucks. So if we're going to at least reach what's happened in the past, then, you know, that's we're going up um, quite a bit more than, than where we are right now. But Let's just forget about that. Let's just pretend that that's never going to happen. There's never going to be a squeeze. Um, and just naturally, all the Chinese are going to have to come to the market because they're building 150 uh, nuclear uh, plants, which is difficult to even fathom. But when the Chinese yeah. say that they're going to do it, they do it. They don't have to ask for permission. They just go ahead and build it. And don't get me wrong. These take a long time to build, but they also buy material way in advance. Right. right, because if I'm building a nuclear reactor in China today, I know that maybe it's going to take five to ten years for that reactor to be active. But if I go to a mine and I try to negotiate a contract, I also know that I'm not going to get that material for at least two years. Right, so that doesn't. Uh, you have to to think about the layering of of the timelines there. And so they're coming to the market, the Japanese and the restarts. Uh, that's a big theme as well. So the Japanese are coming to the market. The Chinese are coming to the market. Um, and I think there's a lot of room for us to go, especially with the commodity. But when the commodity goes, then the miners go absolutely insane. So I, I'm biased, obviously, as you know. And maybe you're, you're biased as well, you know, being around so many uh, uranium investors. Yeah. But I believe that there's still quite a bit of room to run. Okay, well, you were talking about the, the last bull run pre-Fukushima there, and that was quite a parabolic sp spike in uranium prices and the related equities before it all obviously came crashing down again. So I'm wondering if you think this time we're going to see a more longer protracted bull market than the last time around. What's your thoughts there? I think we, we might have a little bit of both because it's such a small market. Um, and it's so sensitive that, that let's take, for instance, um, news out tomorrow uh, and certain countries, it doesn't take many, but certain countries have um, prohibited uh, nuclear power plants to buy anything from Russia. Okay. If you know anything of uh, where the uranium comes from nowadays, you realize that that would bring us a big problem, very similar to what happened uh, back in 07. Uh, that, I think, would make us squeeze upwards very, very quickly. Um, and there are many other things that um, could actually uh, derail this very fragile uh, logistical chain that is the nuclear fuel cycle. So there's always 
the probability or the possibility, I should say, that a squeeze could happen in uh, in the nuclear uh, cycle. However, I, I I thought that this was going to happen. I thought it would have happened already. And then it came to the realization that, you know, there is so much actual real demand that we have this time that we didn't have last time with all the new build-outs. And we are very low on inventory compared to what was happening uh, back then. So just to bring some some facts to the table here, um, Russia and the U.S. had very, very uh, deep programs for enriching their own uranium because they wanted to build bombs for the Cold War. Now, when you talk about enriched uranium, you're talking about a concentration of maybe 97% plus. That's very, very concentrated material. And then what they did is they blended that down and that became nuclear fuel. Now, you're taking some material and, you know, diluting it by maybe 25 times. That means that you have a lot of pounds available, or not even pounds, but a lot of uh, nuclear fuel available from that very concentrated material. And both countries had enough fuel to blow up the whole world several thousand times over. So we're talking about a lot of material here that they uh, built up for many decades. That's gone. Okay, that is gone. We don't have that. Inventories are going down pretty much everywhere around the world. And we are standing at this precipice of the whole world wants more electricity. Uh, We want to maintain our lifestyle, right? And the next generation will want this or more. And everything is more electrical now than it used to be in the past. I mean, look at EVs. I see EVs everywhere I go nowadays. That used did not used to be the reality even 10 years ago. And so we need more and more of that. And we can't really be picky about, you know, do we need to get it from solar or from wind energy and sometimes even from, you know, dirty sources like coal. I think we just need a little bit of everything. And with base load power that nuclear provides, we're going to need a lot more. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Um, I want to talk jurisdiction because there's different jurisdictions that carry different risks. You've got a place like the Athabasca Basin in Canada, which has a very long history, super high grades of U-308, but pretty prolonged permitting times and a lot of ESG red tape. You've got places like Niger in Africa. Again, being uranium mining district for a while. Orano has a long history there. Um and mines tend to get permitted faster there. The government wants to fast-track these these mines for the economic benefit that it brings, and much less ESG red tape. So how do you balance that sort of jurisdictional risk, and where where are you looking right now? Obviously, the, the U.S. as well is becoming more and more uranium mining jurisdiction that seems promising. Where, where are you looking right now? I really like the U.S. I'm not gonna lie. I, I like Niger. Um, the Athabasca Basin is really good. If you have a good hit, but it's so, it's everything or nothing nothing in the Athabasca Basin uh, because uh, it's extremely high grade and so it's physically concentrated. And when the explorers are drilling for it, you could be 15 meters away from an amazing deposit and completely miss it, right? Because it's all grouped up. Um, So it's expensive to drill up there. But when you find something, you don't need to do any marketing whatsoever because the market will come to you and your price is just going to go like moonshot. So there are good things and, and, and difficult things about each jurisdiction. Uh, what I like about Niger is that we know there's lots of uranium in, in Niger, like lots and lots of pounds. It is lower grade. So the economics aren't 
um, as good as the Athabasca Basin, but in order to start in the Athabasca Basin, you need uh, a lot of initial investment. So CapEx is really high. Nothing really has been built in the Athabasca Basin for the last many, many years. And, you, you know, it, you kind of have to ask yourself why, because NextGen was found there, Fission was, asked, was found there, yeah. but these projects have not been sold and they haven't been built. So there are... Um, difficulties to the Athabasca Basin. But like I said, it's a stock that goes up, type of stock that goes up when they find something. Um, Niger, like I said, uh, is lower grade, very quick permitting process. Um, and the country is more and more interested in making that happen. And it actually wants to attract juniors into the country. Um, and people have talked about Niger and the current security issues there. Um, I've heard from people working in the area that currently the situation is actually very positive and the government wants mining in the area, which really helps because it kind of tells you um, what they are willing to do in order to secure you know, a source, a positive source for economic gain for themselves. So that's really great as well. And the reason why I like the U.S., last but not least, is because there's a, a change in belief, right? Uh, the average American person has uh, long forgotten that the U.S. was actually one of the pioneers um, of uranium mining, of uranium everything, of nuclear everything. And it's kind of been left to die, you know, over the years after, I think, the 70s. Um, we found cheaper sources of uranium, but we also found uh, cheaper sources of enrichment facilities and also of conversion facilities. And that's, that's been sent off to, you know, China, Russia and Kazakhstan and everywhere else. And now the U.S. is finally realizing both the population, I believe, and also the government that, hey, maybe that's not such a good idea safety wise for us to have, uh, you know, the grid depends so much on nuclear, but at the same time, not have that logistical support to back it up. So I think about, you know, 12%, maybe a little bit higher of the electricity generated in the U.S. comes from nuclear. And you got to secure that some way, somehow. And so uh, new conversion facilities are coming uh, into the U.S. At least one is being reopened. That was on care and maintenance in Illinois. And now the uh, Department of Energy is actually doing deals with mining companies in the U.S. and saying, we want to buy your pounds and keep it. Uh, so sentiment is changing. I really like the U.S., Low grade, uh, but what I really like the US, about the U.S., which uh, goes right with my investment thesis, is that the resources are there. We don't have to spend a whole bunch of money drilling a very large area to find if there is some uranium in the ground. We more or less know where the uranium is, and we know uh, more or less the kind of resources we're dealing with size-wise. So that's really exciting, and I like the U.S. for that reason, too. Great. Well, before I let you go here, I do want to discuss uh, Rush Uranium, your board member. Um, so I want to talk about, talk us through how that process worked. How did you become a board member and uh, how did that perhaps influence your view of the uranium space or, or maybe give you some new insights? Okay. So having crossed over to the dark side of being on the, on the company uh, side now, uh, it's very interesting because it's, it's one thing for you to kind of make a bet and speculate on a uranium stock, it's very different when you're on the board and you can actually influence the outcome of an investment, right? And so I am uh, a lot happier when I can have that influence over the investment. Uh, but the the interesting thing about Rush Uranium is that it plays right into the, the U.S. theme, 
right? Um, so we have two different projects. We have the Boxy property up in Quebec, and that's mostly niobium and rare earths and things like that. And I like niobium. Don't, don't get me wrong. Like I like the 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 mineral for many different reasons. However, uranium is where my heart is right now. And um, we have a former mine, right? Uh, that That's our project, Copper Mountain. And the funny thing about Copper Mountain is that uh, we haven't really done any marketing whatsoever. This is very early days. We've just IPO'd. Uh, we barely have anything to show uh, people yet. But the truth is, if you just Google Copper Mountain, um, there has been uh, many, many programs uh, made about the resources that, you know, actually gave way to the mine and it's all public information. So if people want to find out about Russia uranium and, and what we have, uh, you, you go onto, you know, Google and put their Copper Mountain, Wyoming uranium, and you're going to find a bunch of interesting things. That's all to say that um, the people who came together and built this company, they had a very clear goal in mind. Their goal was to after having dealt with a few other companies and having written big checks for companies that actually worked out really well, such as Great Bear that got taken out by Kinross, uh, what they wanted was something different. They wanted to make sure that they could um, operate in, in a way that was very shareholder-focused, right? So these guys, um, they are 120% uh, trying to be the guys who bring shareholder value. I know it's easy for me to say that because I'm on the board, uh, but if the rule says you can't do this, they won't do this, right? They don't, they don't, um, go over, uh, what they're supposed to do. They follow, they follow the rules very strictly. Uh, but we're, we're always talking about, okay, like how, how can we make this better? How can we get this thing? How can, how can we make it so that this will actually be good for uh, the shareholders because we're all very large shareholders of the company. And so it's been quite fun. It's been quite an experience. Um, and I'm just going to say something that is going to sound a bit unusual uh, for people, but uh, the mining industry, uh, people-wise, is a dying industry, right? Uh, all the people that we see out here, they're not going to live forever. And as you can tell, uh, they're not getting any younger. And so one piece of advice that I, I would give people is come out to these shows, produce content, um, and you might actually get invited to the board of something, or you might get invited to be CEO, you might get the chance to be a CFO if you're an accountant, something like that. There are plenty of opportunities, and that's what happened to me. I was here last year speaking at a panel. Uh, somebody from the crowd was a company builder. They saw me, they liked what I said, and they're like, okay, let's get to know this person better. And they got in touch with me and eventually after a few conversations to see, you know, where we were, um, then they invited me to the board. And so if you're young, if you like this crazy world of mining, come to the shows, uh, produce content, get out there, put yourself out there and opportunities are going to, to come to you for sure. That's fantastic. And speaking of content, I'll also make sure to put a link in the description to your YouTube channel, The Next Big Rush. You talk a lot about uranium on there as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Fabi, and looking forward to having you on again. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Commodity Culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.